Hello, welcome to Studio Tulsa. I'm Scott Gregory, sitting in today for Rich Fisher. We have on our program another installment in the Museum Confidential podcast series, a co-creation of Philbrook Museum of Art and Public Radio Tulsa. This time out, MC is looking at a show at Philbrook, the exciting new show capturing 500 years of European painting. The show is on view through May 28th as we learn all about it on Museum Confidential. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I shall begin. When museums have superstars in their collections, they don't often let them leave. People travel to the Louvre to see the Mona Lisa. She very rarely leaves the building. Jocelyn Art Museum in Omaha has one of the country's best collections of European paintings covering centuries of creation. With the Jocelyn currently closed for renovations, we at Philbrook had the special opportunity to host said collection. The result is the exhibition Rembrandt to Monet, on view through May 28th. Spanning 500 years, the show features the big names of the title alongside Titian, El Greco, Renoir, Courbet, Bouguereau, and dozens more. Philbrook curator Susan Green coordinated the exhibition's stop in Tulsa and recently spoke with us about this rare opportunity. From Philbrook Museum of Art and Public Radio Tulsa, I'm your host, Jeff Martin, and this is a homegrown episode of Museum Confidential. Thank you so much for taking some time to chat about Rembrandt to Monet, 500 years of European painting. Um, the show just opened. Absolutely. It's so much fun to see people in the galleries. You know, I, I, we've talked about this before, but not necessarily on a microphone. But, you know, when you've been working on something like this for so long, what does it feel like to kind of finally release it to the public? It's, it's really incredibly fun. It is, you think about um, how to lay out the gallery, you think about ideas that artworks share, so what you want to put next to each other to really kind of play off ideas. You think about pathways of visitors, but and then you hang things on the wall, and there's many other things, of course, involved in it. But then to open the doors and see people walk through and I may f sort of follow behind. People have no idea who I am, so I'm just blending into the background. And it is so incredibly fun to listen to people talk to each other, to see people pause at pieces maybe that you might not have expected for them to pause at or to read labels or to have conversations, even uh, people taking selfies with artwork. That means that there's something about that work of art that they want to take home with them, that they want, that they connect with and they really uh, want to immerse themselves in and have that memory on their phone. I love it so much. Is there also a sense of relief? <laughs> Probably, probably a little bit of relief. So all of the deadlines are done, or most of the deadlines are done. 
It's just programs that come up, which are, again, something super fun to get to see people. Or maybe an exhale of some kind and rather than just relief. You know, I like it's, that, it's, an exhale. One of the um, works of art in the gallery is about a woman um, who's on sort of her own quest uh, around the time of the Crusades. She puts on armor. She's on a quest to find her love. And she meets some shepherds in a field. And they say, hey, you can take off your armor. You can rest a little bit. You can enjoy the, the grass and the sky and the, and the sheep and just take a moment, take a breath. So I was really thinking about her. So her name is Armenia. I was really thinking about her like, oh, at any moment we're going to be able to take a breath. So these works, these dozens of works in the show come from the Jocelyn Art Museum in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of a special opportunity for us to have them. Uh, why do we have them? You know, why would, why would the Jocelyn send us all of these treasures from their collection when I'm sure a lot of people go there specifically to see these? Absolutely, and they're stunners. They are such stunners. There's beautiful works of art. Um, so Jocelyn is currently under a big renovation and building program, and so they are completely close to the public. So rather than keep these works of art in storage where nobody can enjoy them and get anything out of them, they decided to put a show together and to let it travel across the country. There are only two venues. Um, we're the second venue, so there's only two opportunities to see it outside of Omaha. And um, because the works of art so, are so incredible, they wanted to share them with um, other communities in the U.S. So, you know, a lot of these shows that are traveling exhibitions, you know, they, of course, they originate at a place like the Jocelyn or wherever the originating venue is. And then there's a curator who creates the show or sometimes a pair of curators who create the show at that venue. But then it starts moving around and then, you know, each venue has a curator like yourself who then kind of takes charge of it at that venue. I've always kind of thought about this the way almost like a cover song, right? Oh, you know, it's I like, like, it. I like you're it. kind of putting a little bit of a spin on it, but of course the bones of it are there. You know, how do you kind of put your own stamp on a show while also staying true to what the original curator's ideas were? I love the idea of that we're covering it. That's really nice. It's like this wonderful uh, structure. Sometimes the most creativity can come out of a, uh, when you have really nice structure in place. So we want to be true to the curator, the chief curator, Jocelyn. Her name is Taylor Acosta. She selected these works to travel. They have a much more, even a broader, extensive um, European collection, but these are the works that were deemed able to travel. And so she had sort of organized it in a way that made sense to her, and it makes, I think, a lot of sense for our community as well. But you're right. Each community is different. Each community has unique needs and unique responses to works of art. So something that might be highlighted at Jocelyn may not be highlighted here and vice versa. So it's really looking at the structure, looking at these works and how we can play something up um, for our own visitors. And one thing that we are really playing up this time is, uh, well, two things actually. One is stories, all the stories that people can find in these works of art. They're not just beautiful paintings. There's also these immersive, deep stories that you can dive into and find out more about, whether it's politics of an era or the story of Armenia or how someone would have experienced a devotional painting in the 1460s. So these stories, and we encourage people to think about stories as you're walking through the gallery, but also Jocelyn's collection is very similar to Philbrick's in some ways. And so really playing up how our works of art connect to these very same stories so that people can walk into our galleries and whether it's an artist or a theme or a, a subject matter, they can see those same uh, components in the works in the Jocelyn exhibition.
When it comes to stories, I think it's interesting to think about the idea that there is a story behind these. And oftentimes we will tell you the story on a text panel and, and we'll kind of give you that insight that you're interested in. But at the same time, one of the cool things about these works is that when you first approach them and you see the work, you may create your own story, right? Absolutely. And so the viewer kind of brings their own imagination to it. And sometimes that can be totally different than what the Absolutely. actual, you know, true history story is that the artist was intending. Do you find those equally valuable? Oh, totally. And um, there's one painting that immediately pops into mind. It's a, a small painting. It's called The Convalescent. And the longer you look at it, the deeper you're pulled into the story. And there is no specific narrative, but you know that something's happening. And the, the more details you find in the painting, the more imaginative twists and turns you create for yourself about this story. And I learn a lot from our visitors, and I also learn a lot from our docents. And once um, we were talking about a work of art in the Philbrook collection, Milton Avery's uh, The Child with the, the Doll, and um, someone else was giving a gallery talk and they said, this is a painting of Milton Avery's daughter holding a doll. And a woman raised her hand and she said, actually, to me, it's not a child holding a doll. It is a woman um, who is facing Alzheimer's and she's clutching onto her past. And this room was silent. So the stories that are um, that might be on a text panel, sure, that might be something that the museum as an authority is, is suggesting, but it doesn't mean that that's the way this painting or this work of art really impacts a person, an individual. And then another docent, a really beloved docent here at Philbrook, told me one day that that painting, Child with Doll, um, reminds her of when she was a refugee and there were bombs around her. She had to, they had to go into a, um, a safe space, and she herself was holding her doll. And those three meanings, that it might be Milton Avery's daughter, just a portrait of his daughter, that it might be a woman um, facing Alzheimer's, or it might be the visitor themselves looking at their past, all of those are equally valid. And actually, I would say the two latter ones are more powerful. Mm. That's really the meaning of the painting. That's when a painting can sing, is when it really connects with someone's um, memories, their emotions, and really kind of digs into their soul. I hadn't heard that before. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's kind of like, you know, sometimes it's a mirror and sometimes it it's a window. Absolutely. You know? I love um, that. So there are so many ways that there's 49 paintings hanging on the walls. Um, there are, so there are 49 opportunities for the hundreds or thousands of people that wow. come through this exhibition to uh, dig into stories from their imagination or, like you said, reflecting on their own histories or how they grew up or people that they may know. So, you know, people get very excited when you throw out names like Rembrandt and Monet and Renoir and Bouguereau and all these people. At the same time, you know, we've kind of got to a place in society where sometimes people say, these old white guys again, you know, these old artists that, you know, they've had their moment. And so how do you kind of keep it fresh, right? Because there is one argument that you could do this in a very traditional way that just kind of feels like playing the hits kind of a thing. Right, right. You know, what did we do or what did you do to kind of bring some fresh energy to the show? 
Well, um, first of all, we work as a team. So uh, people, I worked with you, I worked with members of our learning and audience engagement group, people across the museum to make sure. We should sure tell our listeners, you know, we have what are called core, core we're giving some inside baseball here, mm -hmm. but we have these core teams. And basically it's, we have reps from different departments throughout the museum led by you as the curator. And, you know, we kind of have different perspectives and we brainstorm and we try to find the best solutions to problems that we're looking at. And then, and so... Uh, that was kind of the starting point. Yeah. Right? So that makes the way we put the exhibition together with the way we present the exhibition even more creative. Because one, you know, my mind, my one mind can only think in one way. So the more people we have kind of digging in and reflecting on how they might want to see the works, the better the show will be. So I think that that's an incredible positive, the way we work. So we were able to pull together ideas. Um, so one thing is the interpretation, thinking about not just the biography of the artists, who these artists studied with and, and what they were trying to do, but what are those stories? How can we tease out the stories? How can we tease out stories of really strong women in these paintings? So the story of a, a 15th century donor, a female donor, we don't know her name, but she gave the money to create this massive gold ground painting. And, and what was she telling us about herself? The story of Armenia, the, there are two women artists, which doesn't sound like a lot, but in a case like this, actually it is a lot because of course men, male artists got more recognition and were more broadly collected by museums. So a woman named Maria van Osterweg and then Angelica Kaufmann, two incredible artists whose work is on view. But we also wanted to bring it back home a little bit too and um, bring it into the 20th century. So concurrent to Rembrandt to Monet, we have two other smaller exhibitions going on. One is uh, looking at the work in the Filbert collection by Alexander Hogue, and, and um, it would be the anniversary of his 125th birth, if, yeah. if he were still alive. Um, uh, but an incredible artist that was working in the Tulsa community for um, decades and head of the art department at TU, um, definitely a change maker in the Tulsa community. So we're looking at how a 20th century artist is using some of these same ideas and dealing with conservation ecological concerns. In 1936, he created Mother Earth Laid Bare because he was so concerned about the Dust Bowl and the devastation of the land and what humans were doing to the land. So how that can be transformed into what we would now call eco-activism. Or an artist named Robert Peterson, who is from uh, Lawton, Oklahoma, a black artist. He is rising in the art world right today. He's uh, incredible and such a kind person. And so we have uh, portraits that he've he has made um, in our sunroom gallery. So he's using some of these same ideas, but really showing um, a different perspective, black faces in our galleries, which is incredibly important so that anyone can see themselves in the, in the works of art at Philbrook. And we should note that uh, Robert Peterson, one of the Exciting things about this show is he was one of his works uh, of the famous Pulitzer Prize winning author Ernest Gaines yeah. so was recently selected as a, a USPS stamp. So it's kind of probably traveling all over the world right now. As we, and we have the original painting here on view for that for that stamp project. When you take on a project like this and you're, you know, either chosen or assigned or however that works that you get picked to handle one of these shows. It's not as if each area is like your specific ex area of expertise, right? So when you do these shows, do you kind of view it as, as kind of a deep dive for yourself? Does it become kind of a 101 situation where you have to just start from a place and go, I'm going to have to read all these books and do all this stuff? How, how do you kind of find your way into it? Because you do have to become 
a bit of an expert by the end of it, right? Absolutely. And uh, it's all immersive. And it's, for me, that's so much fun. So it is not my specific area, although I have a really broad understanding of artwork from Europe from this time period. So I feel very comfortable in this um, with the works in the exhibition and the topics. I am also really interested in some of the broader themes that are important in this area, in this time period. So um, the effects of colonialism, um, the, the politics, um, representation as well from the 1400s to the uh, 1900s. Uh, so digging deep into some of these areas. So this, I didn't have to immerse myself as much as I have for others. So we had an exhibition of Islamic art, which again, I knew a, a slice of um, artwork from across the world, from across time that uh, represents Islamic faith. But that one was an incredible opportunity to immerse myself in Islamic culture from across the world and across time and history and cultures and work with community members. And I learned so much. And um, then another uh, recent show we had, uh, a Transcendental Painting Group, two years ago, I guess. Um, another, I knew a couple of the artists, but I had not studied that specific group of artists. So again, I got to immerse myself, read their letters, read their manifesto, think about the times, think about how they were working. And so it's just so much fun to get to kind of stop everything and just <laughs> dig down, plunge into whatever the time period is. Yeah, I mean, you think about those three shows, mm -hmm. think about the diversity of Absolutely. offerings. And, and I'm sure you know, that just kind of personally for you, it just kind of feels like you grow, you yeah. know, every time that you get an opportunity mm -hmm. to do this. Mm -hmm. Is there something that you would be thrilled? Like, is there an area, now that you've kind of done all these things, is there something like, I'd love to take on this area or I'd like to try this as, you know, being such a curious person, you know, what, what would be something that you'd be thrilled to kind of dive into like, like you've done for these? Well, I do love design. So that's one of my, the areas that I love. So I love the way people use objects and how objects are designed for the use of people, or maybe they're not designed for the use of people. And then they sort of, the design fails and so sort of this material culture. I would love to explore how, um, uh, whether it's like, you know, Tulsa is such a deco town, uh, but deco or modernism mm. or, uh, or the design of the 70s when things are starting to really change and get kooky and fun. Um, so something like that and see- A lot of avocado green. Exactly. Yeah. You know, Kohler was pulling, bringing back some of those colors yeah. recently. Um, so how does someone respond and now what is 40 or 50 uh, years ago, designs from 40 or 50 years ago. And if we were able to have designs that people can pick up and use and play with and think about what their relationship with these objects that someone lives with, like how someone lives with a coffee cup, a coffee mug, and everyone's response to their specific beloved coffee cup is different, but it's really intimate. Everyone has a different coffee mug that they love, that they can really connect with the most. What do you want to see first thing in the morning where you're completely groggy? You want your favorite coffee mug. Yeah, it's kind of like when design becomes a totem of yeah, some kind. Yeah. This episode of Museum Confidential is sponsored by Whoa, did you see how old this thing is? There are many things to be impressed by when encountering a stunning work of art. Some are wowed by the technique. Others find amazement in what the art evokes within them. 
And some people are just blown away by something being really, really old. And that is okay. It's comforting, actually. In a society obsessed with what is new, what is trendy, and what is forever young, sometimes you've just got to give it up for the oldies. Somehow they made it all the way from there to here without being burned, painted over, or sold as a replica at a yard sale in rural Pennsylvania. Good job, old paintings. Good job. So back to this show, when you're thinking about the stories in the show and, and the different narratives, was there one or two that spoke to you the most when you kind of started thinking like, well, we're going to use stories as the way in. Did you kind of guess that from the beginning or were there a couple of stories that you thought, hey, these, these are good enough to actually start thinking about this show from that narrative perspective, you know? Um, oh, that's examples a, of some stories in the oh, show. There's amazing stories in the show. So um, one of my favorite pieces is, and I know we're not ever supposed to say we have favorite, but we always have favorite pieces. You said one of them. One of them, that's right, is Jules Breton, The Weeders. So it is this incredible large landscape of uh, a sunset and women uh, on their knees weeding a wheat field and that backbreaking labor. But at the same time, the image is beautiful. So this, there's this play of immense labor and women doing the, the labor, this min, minute labor. It's not, um, it's not threshing. It's not pulling up grains of wheat. It is the picking up tiny sprigs of weed, uh, weeds out of this wheat field contrasted with this glorious sunset. Uh, so I think that is really uh, interesting. And also if we're in Oklahoma, you know, we, we grew up with wheat fields around us. Yeah. The other is um, the portrait by Rembrandt, which is a spectacular portrait, and it has so many layers to it. It is a portrait of a man named Dirk van Os, who was sort of a, a mayor or governor of an area. Um, and he was incredibly wealthy, but his father was one of the founders of the Dutch East India Company. So that wealth and the wealth of the Dutch Republic and the Northern Netherlands were, uh, was really built on colonialism, enslavement, taking um, ideas and materials from one country for the benefit of Europe. And so that kind of deeper understanding of who this person was and how they, how they built who they were. And at the same time, the Rembrandt, it has this other layer of history because it was um, the, someone 100 years later, 200 years later after the painting was made, augmented it, painted on this glorious gold chain of office and put lace on his collar. And he, he's kind of blinged out a little bit, not what Rembrandt intended. And so the staff at Jocelyn saw that, you know, this was a little strange maybe for Rembrandt. And they, with help from others, conducted essentially forensic analysis to figure out what was Rembrandt and what wasn't. So long story short, they ended up conserving the painting and removing that, what were later additions, the lace, the gold chain of office. But if you look wow. sideways at the painting, you can still see the little, little oh, remnants ghost. of that, the ghosts of that. So a painting not only shows us an illustration of something like this portrait of a man, but it only also has its own history. It's like rings of a tree Yeah, or exactly. Yeah, layers. Is that something like that? common to have things that are, you know, over the over decades as, as the ownership changes of works to have things added to them changed? Or is that an anomaly? An anomaly? I think that um, it happens probably more than one would expect um, because a, an artwork, you know, it's it may be hanging with in sunlight. It may be the temperatures may fluctuate over hundreds of years. So it might start to degrade and somebody's going to go, you know, they love the painting. They're going to go touch it up. 
a little bit. In this case, they blinged it out. Yeah, I was going to say, touching up, I could see, uh-huh. you know, like, oh, hey, that blue needs some more blue. Right. But right. adding, Bling it up. you know, adding, why not, why not sunglasses? Yeah. You know? uh, and so in this case, I would assume that the person 100 years later or whenever it was, was like, well, we know Dirk van Os was a really important guy. He's just wearing black. He doesn't look as important as he should be. Let's put some, you know, the this gold chain on him. Let's make him look really important to our contemporary eyes. And Rembrandt was not particularly known for flattering yeah. portraits, right? right? He kind of right. was a realist and wanted to show people. Yeah, that well, they talk about like the emotional depth, looking into the soul of a person yeah. through. These Rembrandt's aren't glamour hands. shots, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, you personally, you know, now the show is open. There are guests seeing it. It's going to be up for you know, a few months. How do you know if it works or not? You know, beyond the numbers of who came and all the, all the kind of things you can count on a computer, but just for you personally. To me, it's when I get to kind of blend in the background and I walk through the gallery when visitors are in the galleries and, and overhearing comments and seeing how people might um, experience the works. So at the members opening, which, you know, there's so many people, but there was this woman with her two children and they spent so much time looking at the paintings and a little girl who was asking her mother, you know, why is this woman wearing this weird skirt and, and this conversation happening? And so for me, it's not necessarily the numbers. It's really what was the experience of someone interacting with the works of art? Did they learn something or grow in some way or have a really good experience with the people around them? Maybe just laughing and and joking about a work of art or was there um, something deeper that happened? And it it won't happen with every visitor. Some people will just buzz through and go straight to the Monet's, but um, just kind of looking, aggregating, looking it over the whole and seeing um, did we somehow impact visitors that came through? There are a lot of programs coming up. Mm, uh, we yeah. want to tell people to go to the calendar, philbrook.org slash calendar. You can see the full listing. But just real quickly, you have a, quite a variety. And we're talking everything from things you might expect, like music in the gallery, to an 1880s prom. Right, right. right. So what, what are a few highlights of some things we can be looking forward to over the next couple Absolutely. of months? Absolutely. So I'll be giving different ga- gallery, or gallery talks across the span of the show. Um, one thing I'm really looking forward to is something we're calling Music on Exhibit. So uh, Jason Heilman, who people may know, he presents Classical Tulsa on KWTU. Yeah. Um, and I will talk about um, works of art and how they connect with the music of the period. And then we'll have incredible local musicians on stage playing different selections. So we might talk about how Ravel or Debussy or uh, Svelink or someone, um, how you can hear the same ideas of uh, change cultural change in music as you might see in a painting. Mm. Um, So how it might relate to Impressionism or Dutch painting or something like that. We're also really looking forward to it. Near the end of the show in May, um, we're going to bring in an incredible woman named Ivy Thompson, a TikTok star. TikTok superstar. TikTok superstar, but she's so nice, so knowledgeable. She really lives and breathes the fashion of the 19th century and the Edwardian era. So Victorian and Edwardian eras. And she's recreating one of the dresses that's in the Renoir portrait. She will come and talk about fashion of the era, what it's like to live in these clothes, what it's like to wash and and move around and be part of this era wearing these clothes. The reality of a corset, for example. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Reality of so we can really understand the paintings in this other way. What does it feel like? 
what would it feel like to be a woman in these kinds of clothes uh, depicted in this painting? And at the same time, we'll have music and we'll have dancing and we'll have other things, sort of a choose-your-own-adventure night so you can go around and explore the galleries in a new way. And we hope people dress up in whatever they think an 1880s prom would be or wear clothes of whatever era and just come and celebrate with yeah. us. Well, good. Well, there's going to be that and so much more. So mm -hmm. check out the website, come see the show, and thank you very much, Susan. Jeff, thank you. It's always a pleasure. <laughs> In 1633, when Rembrandt was just 29 years old, he painted what is today one of his best-known works, Christ and the Storm on the Sea of Galilee. In 1990, in one of the largest heists in U.S. history, the painting was stolen along with 12 others from the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum in Boston. It was never found. According to the museum's website, the investigation remains, quote, active and ongoing, end quote. The museum is offering a $10 million reward for information leading to the recovery of the stolen works. Well, that's our show for this week. Museum Confidential is produced and edited by Scott Gregory in the studios of Public Radio Tulsa. Additional production assistance from Jack Dean. For more on the museum and the station, visit philbrook.org or publicradiotulsa.org, or both. As always, we suggest both. Until next time, look closer. <laughs>